Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. Have you ever heard someone say, do what I say, not what I do? This false precedent is morally flawed, for each of us behaves after our own beliefs and values. This morning, we will examine how the Apostle Paul informs Titus to teach the church with a five-fold instruction to make certain their character and conduct are following the truth of God's word and gospel. Thank you for listening. I came across something uh, on the internet uh, this past week that I just have to share with you. Uh, it's really uh, an example of how we respond to circumstances. You, you might want to come down to watch this. Uh, how we respond to our circumstances is really the majority of our lives. It's been said that life is really 10% what happens to you and 90% what? How you respond to it, right? Well, here's a, a quick little video, and I want you to watch the response of this man. This is a professor who's being interviewed on live TV uh, by the BBC. And uh, he has something that happens to him, and I just uh, wonder what you and I might do. Scandals happen all the time. The question is how democracies respond to those scandals. Uh, and what will it mean for, uh, for the wider region? I think one of your children has just walked in. I mean, shift, shifting, shifting sands in the region, do you think relations with the North may change? Um, I would be surprised if they do. <coughs> the, um, pardon me. <laughs> My apologies. What is this going to mean for the region? My apologies. North Korea, North, uh, South Korea's policy choices are not. Oh my goodness. I, I saw that. I felt like that was the greatest thing I'd seen all week. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's having the right response, isn't it? It's having the right response for the position that we've been put in. When I uh, was working in the Caribbean, I served as the basketball coach, and a lot of the kids that came on the team, uh, they grew up in environments where certain behaviors were more acceptable than what, what I wanted it to be when we were at school. Uh, our school was called Windermere High School, and if you were on the team, we expected that you would behave that you would respond in a way that made the school look attractive, that made the school uh, look like it was a place where others would want to go. Well, sometimes on the basketball court, you'd see the other team come on, and one child, two kids every now and then would start boo, boo. They, they'd start booing, and I'd quick, I'd grab them and I'd say, we don't act like that. You, you might be able to do that when you leave this place or go home, but not when you're here, because you're making our school look bad. You're representing our school. And there needs to be a change in your behavior. There needs to be a change in your representation. Because you carry more than just your own name and your own rep your reputation. You now carry the name of our school and the honor of our school. And therefore, your behavior has to follow in kind. Your behavior has to change as well. It's easy for us to see that this is the same truth that's given to us as believers. As Christians in this world, uh, people looking on the outside are going to look to you and me and our behavior and how we act and how we respond before they ever open their Bibles to read them. You are a text. You are a testament. The words you say and how you act and the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money and how you respond to your spouse and what do you do when you're on a live interview and your kids come walking in. Like it's all going to reflect as to who you serve. 
and whose reputation you represent and how you either are still controlled by the flesh or have been transformed. That you follow after the pattern of Jesus Christ through the indwelling of His Son. We need to learn how to live as Christians. I'm calling this message, Our Presentation of God. How we present God. As people would look at us, what do they learn about God? By looking at you and by looking at your life. I had the opportunity to speak at the youth, uh, for, for the youth last night at our second Saturday at Alex's place. And it was a real simple message, a single line out of uh, Timothy's, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, where he encourages young Timothy to not let anybody look down just because he's young, because that's easy to do. But instead, he challenges Timothy to set an example in his speech, in his life, in his love, in his faith, and in his purity. Five avenues that cover and encompass the entirety of one's life. He challenges Timothy, you set the example, you set the standard, so that when people look at you, they will know what a Christian is to look like. Now, Paul was given to repeating himself in some of his letters because this is where we find ourselves this morning in his letter to Titus. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 2. We're going to read through the first 10 verses. That's where we're going to land for this morning. And I'm going to to try to be brief with this, so we're going to have to hold on and go quickly through it together for sake of time. But what we're going to find is that he outlines five examples of four. So that's what we're looking at. Five examples with four things outlined in them. And then we'll have three observations, two conclusions, one application, and a partridge in a pear tree. Five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. Titus chapter 2. Paul writes, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home and to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way, They will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. It's one of a set of passages in the New Testament commonly referred to as a a household text because what Paul does here is he comes and he invites himself into your house and he starts meddling in things that normally we want to keep folks out of. Isn't that just like the Holy Spirit? To come and not leave any portion of your life left covered under your control, but to come and to just involve himself in all of it. 
Um, older men. Any older men here? I got two. Yeah. Uh, we're speaking directly to you this morning. Uh, I hate to ask the next question. Any older women here this morning? Yeah, speaking directly to you as well. Younger men and younger women as well. And then we'll look at slaves and what that means for us today in a world and in a country where slavery no longer exists. Firstly, to the older men, this is what he writes. He says he wants you to be temperate. This word means restrained. You need to be restrained. You need to be able to uh, pull back on the reins from time to time. I probably don't need to preach this much too much further. I think, guys, we all know what we're talking about here. Those moments where suddenly, you know, an hour later, I kind of regret what I said. Well, don't let it get to that point. You need to be temperate. You might see the root in that word, a temper. Does anyone see that, right? Does anyone struggle with that? Well, this is the challenge for you. I have to reference, as we look at older men, how Paul began chapter 2. Do you see the first line? You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Older men to be temperate, do you know what that means? That means you're following after sound doctrine in how you live. You're moving what you believe up here, because we believe it's true. You're moving it into your hands and your feet and your mouth and your life and your faith and your purity. Number two, worthy of respect. Uh, This word means dignified. Uh, There are certain places that men can go. And while you have freedom in Christ, there are places you shouldn't go. Men, there there are places where you probably ought not linger. There are places where you probably ought not park your vehicle. Um, You probably need to make sure that when you represent Jesus Christ, you're doing so in a way that shows you to be dignified, worthy of respect. Self-controlled also is uh, extremely self-explanatory. Too easy in our world when we're fed through materialism and commercialism. Have it your way and more, more, more and greater, better, upgrade. Uh, The latest and the greatest. And sometimes that plays uniquely off of our flesh. And the spirit grieves in our hearts because men are not self-controlled. You want to start your family on the right track? You want your kids to be set up for success? Guys, you know where it begins? Hear me, man. It begins with you. It begins with self-control. You need to be temperate, dignified, self-control. And finally, you need to be sound in three matters he puts in here. In faith, in love, and in endurance. Now, normally when we're reading the scriptures, faith and love fall into a different category. Three things. Can anyone remember what they are? Faith, something in love, faith, hope and love. Generally, in the New Testament, that's what we see. But that's not the one listed here. It's because it's given to men. The new one, the one that shows up to you guys, not that you can do without hope, but it's endurance. It's perseverance. It's not giving up. It's working even when it's hard. It's praying even when you don't feel like it. It's allowing your pride to die when you want to defend yourself. You know what? You need to endure through the difficulties. This word soundness, uh, you might write down in the margin of your Bible, simply means healthy. It just means healthy. It means vibrant. It means alive. It means correct. Soundness in your faith, in your love, and in your endurance. Any old men ready to get off the hot seat? Ready to put the ladies on? All right, here we go. Uh, To the older women, Paul says, teach them how to be reverent in the way that they live. Uh, The word for this is priest-like. Priest-like. Now, if anyone kind of grew up in the Catholic Church, 
or you're familiar with this idea of a priest, you'll recognize that they really stand apart from the common congregation, right? They, they stand apart from others, and that's the root of this word, is the idea of holiness. Women, you are to be reverent in the way that you live. It's too easy to turn on the television or look on the internet and see how women in our culture today dress and act and the kind of things that they promote, uh, the halftime shows at football games, whatever it might be that we recognize, my goodness sakes, there was a time when my spirit was more sensitive to that, but it's so prevalent in our world today, I don't even know if we recognize the offense that it is to God. Where's reverence for God? Where's fear of God? And what a danger it is to men who want to live a godly life to see the women with dresses full of temptation themselves following after the way in which the devil would want the world to go. No, when Paul writes to Titus, he says, this is how you're to teach the older women to live, to dress, to act, reverent, priest-like in their lives. This next one is a good one. Um, it's slanderous, uh, slanderers here in the NIV, uh, but the word in Greek is devilish. That's the word, devilish. So y- you might recognize how Paul doesn't pull his punches, right? You need to teach those women not to be devilish. Now, if we just think about that for a moment, it's quick for us to recognize that the devil is the accuser, right? He's the liar. He's the one that wants to bring people down. And many times I think that the temptation falls to women more than men because men just, fine, I'm going to go out in the woods, right? They just leave. But ladies sometimes like to blow off their steam by talking about others and by, like the devil, spreading lies, untruths, things that allow them to just kind of get this off their, tre- their chest. This is what Paul says to Titus. You've got to teach them not to be like this. Don't be like the devil. Don't be slanderers. Be careful with the words that you say. What have we looked at already? Do you remember? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And maybe work more on saying positive things. What I have found is that when I'm speaking with someone and they start to go down the path of saying something negative, I identify that, you know what, maybe there's a problem in their heart. Maybe there's hurt going on here. It's really not a problem with anyone else. The problem really lies right here with the one who's hurting. And if you're careful enough to give love and give assurance and let them just have a listening ear it's surprising how quickly that we no longer act like the devil we can learn how to receive love such that we can learn how to give it as well older women are not to be addicted to much wine i don't know if i have anything more to say in that <laughs> i do think that the the concept here of addiction Uh, is one to pay attention to. In the original language, it's slaved. You are enslaved to wine. And that's the truth with any kind of addiction. Anything that you would turn to for comfort outside of humility before the foot of the cross, it makes you a slave. makes you a slave again. Hear the truth as it was given in the children's sermon. You've been freed from your sins. You're not slaves anymore. Uh, If for you that's... Uh, You fill in the blank. It doesn't just have to be wine here. I'm pretty sure Titus would make whatever that might be. Chocolate. Or uh, maybe I'm treading too close here, ladies. I don't know. (laughs) But whatever it is that you turn to when life gets hard like that, how about you exchange that to turning back to God? Turn back to Him. Be priest-like. Don't be devilish. 
Don't be enslaved to things that give salve to our mortal bodies, whether that be any substance or even wine. Finally, Titus says you have to teach that which is good. You have to teach that which is good. Now, I know to the older ladies, this is not that difficult. Uh, God has blessed you with long life on this earth so that you've had enough time to see both the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you know the difference. And you now are able to pass that on, which is the next thing that he says. In fact, if you look with me here in verse 4, look what he says as he brings up the topic of younger women. Right in the context of the older women, verse 4 says, then they can train the younger women. And though we have a list here, even before we look at the list to what the older women are to teach the younger, I want you to recognize that in the providence of uh, the wisdom of God, uh, Paul does not tell Titus to teach younger women. There is a sense of purity and propriety. There is a protection upon the reputation of God such that I will live without even the hint of immorality. So Titus, you're not teaching the young ladies. Because what do the young ladies do when there's a godly young man? But, oh, oh. Not even listening to what I'm saying. Pay, pay attention, right? Um, I've seen it before where um, uh, you would have, <laughs> you would have a, a young gal who's just got tears rolling down, wants to talk to the pastor. And then if the, if the elder uh, woman walks in, send those tears, they dry right up. They don't have the tears anymore. Older ladies, you have the ability to speak into the lives of younger women far more than any younger man or older man. We need you. The church needs you. To younger women here, I believe the category to this would be uh, you are moms generally, but even if you're not a mom, these still apply to you. They're really focused here on the family, and so the list says starts off with to love your husbands and your children. To love them. Now, love is always a question of direction, never a question of feeling. Can I get an amen from the moms? I'm so thankful that my wife is back from Curcio. I'm so thankful. I just want to pause again for a moment and say I'm so thankful. Because my kids and her husband are able to receive the love, this selfless giving love that moms and young women are able to give. Uh, He says to be self-controlled, same as he did to the older women, same as he will say to the younger men as well. Uh, To be busy at home and to be kind and to be subject to your husbands are two commands that we find in God's word that are real popular today. They're really not too popular because there has been a disassociation with value in our world. And it's incorrect to think that because you're the man and you go out and earn a living that you're better is wrong. It's incorrect. And God has ordained it to women that they are, generally speaking, more nurturing than men tend to be. They're the ones that carry the babies. They're the ones that can nurse the children. And they're the ones by God's gifting who will stay with them by their side when guys are, I just got to go sleep, right? I just got to lay down because somehow they think, and our world unfortunately wants to teach this, that men are better because they work. This is false. This is not true. You want to know one of the greatest blessings that I received while my wife was gone was that I was the one that got to give Sadie a bath and I was the one that got to brush her hair at night. Dads, if you've never taken the time to brush your little girl's hair, you don't know what you're missing. 
It's fantastic. It is a treasure to be able to sit there as she does and just to comb her beautiful hair. That is of equal value to the husband that might leave home. And women can work in our world today. It's a little bit different than it was in the first century. But don't make the mistake of ascribing incorrect value to the one that stays home and the one who works. Make sure that we do, however, recognize what the Word of God says. And when it comes to younger women, the older women are going to be the ones that are going to be able to tell you that, you know what, ladies, this is what you really need to do. And this is how to do it. Here's how you take care of your husband. Here's how you take care of your kids. Because I've made mistakes in my own life, and now I've learned from them, and I need to pass that on to you. Being subject to husbands is tough. Do you know why? Yeah, all the women are like, yeah, I know why. Because <laughs> my, my husband's a sinner. That's why. There is, unfortunately for you ladies, another problem to this. And it comes all the way back in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, as Adam and Eve disobeyed God, a curse was given. The curse upon the man was to work by the sweat of his brow and die. That's it. You're going to work, and then you're going to die. And the curse upon the woman was, what's the obvious one, ladies? Childbirth. Yeah, pain and childbirth. And the second one is more devious. Genesis chapter 3 says these words. It's 3.16 if you want to look there. He says, and your desire will be for your husband. This is not a sensual desire, a sexual desire. Uh, This word desire in the Hebrew is the same one that's used one chapter later when Cain and Abel are in their struggle and God comes before Cain and he says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you. Sin's desire is for you. How does sin desire you, church? It desires to control you. That's what sin desires. Sin desires to come into your life and take over rulership of your life. And that is the same word that's used one chapter earlier when the curse upon the woman is given to say your desire will be for your husband. Which means your desire will be to be in his role. To control him. Ladies, you recognize that? You understand that feeling? I know you do. It's hard to trust your man to be the one to take the lead. Most of the time you see it straight and you see it right anyways. And we're the ones that need to listen better. But you know what? God's working on us too. And you've got to allow God to work on us. You can't shortcut that by just, I'm going to get it done myself. I'm done asking you. <laughs> you've got to allow the work of God to happen through your husband's lives. Because he has given women to men to help us become better. To help men become more godly as well. And so when Titus looks to the younger women, who probably, rightly so, know it's hard to love these sinful men, he says these words, be subject to your husband. Be subject to him. It's not easy. It is the reversal of the curse in Genesis, such that you would live, husbands and wives would live together the way God planned it to be. If the husband is the one held accountable before God, because that's what we see even in the garden. Do you remember? It was Eve who ate first. It was Eve who gave to Adam. But God did not go talk to Eve first. Who did God go talk to? God went and talked to the man. And the same will be true in your future, husbands. That the accountability for your home and for your marriage falls at your feet. That God will question you as to what did you do with what I entrusted to you? And how did you live as a godly husband? Both submitting one to another, as Paul says in Ephesians. 
but ultimately such that husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and that wives respect their men. Not to leave out the younger men, Paul continues, you need to be self-controlled. And then he gives this same word as we looked at already from 1 Timothy. Set an example. Set the example. Just because you're young, that doesn't mean that you're exempt. You set the example for what it looks like to live as godly men in this world. By doing good. By showing integrity. And I think that Paul really understood uh, the nature of young men because he ends with a seriousness. Hey, quit fooling around, right? Quit fooling around. You need to have a seriousness and a soundness in your speech. I have come to realize that this is especially important in my life because I have a son. And I need to make sure that I represent God properly before him. I can fail at all things. I can, but if I fail in my home, I fail completely. Your primary ministry is to your family. That's your primary ministry. And I've realized that in my life before having a son, it's easy for me to get away with just looking after what's in my own best interest. And sometimes that included not being completely honest. And so I recognize this, that with my son, I need to be kind of the kind of dad who represents our Heavenly Father the correct way. So as we think of Father, as my son thinks of Father, he thinks of his Heavenly Father. Because I am a pattern of him. I follow after God myself. Does God lie, church? What does he tell? He tells the truth. And so I have made it a mantra in my life in communication to my boy that your dad only tells the truth. I won't even try to joke that much. I'll try not to... um, Be very sarcastic at times because I want my son to realize how important it is that I have a seriousness and a soundness of speech. That I'm careful with what I say. That I always represent God by speaking the truth. We would be ignorant to recognize that slavery doesn't exist today. And it doesn't exist in the United States. Even as it did in the 18th century was different than it was in Paul's day. Slavery was many times something that a person would welcome into their life. uh, Because it was a better economic status for them. Uh, It is by and large very similar to employment as it is today. The word used for slaves after it is masters. What do we call them today? That's our boss, right? That's our... Try that this week. Go go to your boss. Call him master. Just see how that goes. But the same principles here that we find in the first century, they will be proven today true in our workplaces. And slavery still exists in our world. There are many countries where there are still slaves. Some 30 million people live today as slaves. Many people in the early church, those who were hurting the most destitute and the poorest, were the ones who cried out to God before the rich. And so when Paul writes these letters, he's got to address this category of people as slaves. Here's what he lists for them. Number one, you need to be subject to your masters. The same idea of respect. You need to listen to what they say. You need to try to please them. That's my job. I got to do it. Punch the clock. No. You work not as unto men. How do you work? As unto God. That's how you work. He is the one that is giving you strength. He's the one that's giving you a sound mind. He's giving you a strong back. God is the one that does these things. And as long as his grace lands upon you to receive these blessings, you don't work for any man or woman. 
You work for God. And so you try to please those who are held in trust to be in charge. You don't talk back. You don't steal. But you work in order that they will trust you. Those are our five different categories with lists of four. I hope that you find yourself falling under uh, at least one of them. Hopefully the idea of a workplace also falls into your life. As a place where we must recognize that you carry the reputation of God. Now there are three observations that I want to make from this passage. They're repeated throughout. And the first one shows up in verse 5. Paul, speaking to the younger women, will say, as they're to be busy at home and kind and subject to their husbands, he says these two words, so that. You see that in their Bible? So that. Anytime you see a so that, it's answering the question why. And it's very important we take the time to observe this. There is a reason why Paul's going to spend his time teaching Titus to explain these household characteristics where God wants to come and meddle into your life and how you live as older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. The reason is for the reputation of God. He says these words, so that no one will malign the word of God. It has with it this idea of defaming or slandering. We might think of it easily today as hypocrisy. I've heard it many times. From people who really want to find an excuse not to go to church. And you know what? The real reason is they have a hard heart. All of us have been there at one point. But the excuse that they'll use is, I've seen Christians. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. They don't walk the walk. Oh, you talk a big talk and you look so holy one day out of the week. But I know know what you're really like on the job site. Your language is no different than mine. Uh, The things you watch are no different than what we watch. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. And really, what happens here? It's not your name that's on the line. Not your reputation that's on the line. It's the word of God that you hold to. I want to draw your attention again back to verse 1. Paul says to Titus, You must teach what is in accord to sound doctrine. The way you live must follow what you believe. And if you don't do that, And he speaks specifically here as he's summarizing older men, younger women, younger women. The reason, the so that, is that you will not defame, that you will not slander, that you will not blaspheme, is the word used in Greek here. The word of God. There's another place where this is repeated again, so we're going to observe it. Look here in verse 8. Once again, Paul says, as he's recounting to the younger men, Integrity and seriousness and a soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that. Do you see it? It answers the question why. Why should younger men be sound in their speech and have a seriousness in their speech and be self-controlled and have integrity and do what is good? Well, here's why. Because there's a lot of people who want to speak bad about Christians. We've already talked about them. They'll call you hypocrites. You holy rollers. You Jesus freaks. Goody goodies. Whatever the moniker might be that they are not interested in. Do you know how you can correct them? You can do it. Hear me now. You can do it without words. Nobody wants to be preached to. Nobody, oh yeah, a bunch of that again. I'm hearing, I'm hearing you go on and on again. Don't go near Jeff. Listen, he's going off about the Bible again. You know what you can do? You can correct them without ever opening your mouth. 
by the behavior of your life. Paul says this in verse 8, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say. I got, I got nothing bad to say. I'm going to make fun of Pete and Tom, but Jeff, I got nothing bad to say about them. Well, let me think a minute. I, there, surely there's got to be this one. No, you know what? I can't think of a thing. Because he has patterned his life after sound doctrine. Because he's listened to what Titus is saying here. He taught what was in accordance to sound doctrine. And now even if someone wants to oppose the believer, they won't have anything bad to say. There's one other place where this shows up. It comes in verse 10. Again, Paul gives an answer to the question, why this time to the slaves where they will be subject to their masters, not to steal, not to talk back, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior. And what's the word? Attractive. Attractive. You'll make it look attractive. I cheer for the Packers. I don't want to marginalize anybody who doesn't. But there was, uh, there was a moment a few years ago where uh, there was a uh, touchdown caught in the end zone and they had some replacement refs and one of the refs said it was no good and the other one said it was a touchdown. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Remember this moment? If you're a Packer fan, you definitely know what I'm talking about here, right? And uh, they left, uh, it was the end of the game. I mean, the time had run out on the clock and they left the field, but the rules said you still need to kick an extra point. And so they called the team to come losing, losing what many people would say is unfairly, they called them back onto the field to kick the extra point. Now, I know that if I was back uh, in the Caribbean with some of my young men on the basketball court, there was no way I'm getting them back out of the locker room for that. Uh-uh. They cheated, man. We got cheated. It ain't fair. We worked so hard. I ain't going back out there. Mm, no way. Let them work it out themselves. But that's not what the Packers did. And for, for better, for worse, however you feel about a sports team, you have to raise applause for integrity and for following the rules and doing the right thing. And I will never forget that, that they came back out on the field and they lined up Even though they lost, they kicked the extra point, they shook hands, went back. Life is just 10% what happens to you. It's 90% how you respond to it. And that moment for the Packers was one that sticks out in my mind. I hope that there's moments in your life where you are challenged, where God gives you the squeeze, and you choose not to act according to the flesh, but rather to represent your God well. So that no one will malign the word of God. So that those who oppose you will have nothing bad to say. And so that you will make the teaching of your God look attractive. I've got two conclusions as we wrap this sermon up this morning. Number one is this. What you believe must influence how you live. It is not enough to come to church. And have some kind of intellectual assent onto salvation and to leave it there it's not enough you know what god wants god wants to come and he wants to saturate your entire life how you live how you talk how you use your time how you spend your money how you relate to your spouse how you relate to your kids what you find yourself busy with how you respond to your boss 
what you do when no one is looking, what you believe must influence how you live. And the second conclusion is just the very reverse of that. And how you live displays what you believe. It really does. Before anyone outside of church is going to open their Bible, they're going to read the text of your life and mine. What you believe must influence how you live and how you live displays what it is you believe. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and thinking, I I can't do this. How could anybody do that? I just know already I can't do this. I want to let you know you can't do this. Only the Spirit of God can do this in you. It's an exchange in your heart, your inner man, that you would turn over control in that moment, not to your flesh, because you can't achieve this, but you will turn over control to the Spirit that He will lead you and make you able to do this. To the older men, what you believe must influence how you live. Do you believe that Jesus carried the cross for you? Older men, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. And can you imagine carrying a cross from the Roman Praetorium to Golgotha? All that Jesus went through? Who here would have made it? I would have given up. I, I'm done. I can't go any further. Even Simon comes to help Jesus. But because Jesus was able to carry the cross for you, I want you to say, I will endure. I will. I'll endure. I will be sound in faith and in love and in endurance. Why? Because I believe Jesus did that for me. And so what I believe will influence how I live. To the older women, um, Peter writes this, Jesus did not retaliate when he was scorned. He didn't open his mouth and cast back eye for an eye, insult for an insult. And you might be tempted to do that. You might really recognize this person has it coming. And let me just tell you what I think of them. But you know what? Because Jesus didn't open his mouth, you can keep yours closed as well. Now you can make sure you're only saying things that build people up. You're only saying things that encourage others. Because you are living what you believe. To the younger women, do you believe that? Or my younger women, do you believe that Jesus loves sinners? We don't have any young women. Yeah. <laughs> then you can love the sinners in your house too. If you believe that Jesus served and gave himself for those who did not deserve it, you know the husbands and kids that you have don't deserve it, right? But you know what? Jesus did it. And you can live out what you believe to the younger men. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. He lives in you. He controls you. And because of this, you can be controlled by Him. You can let the truth of the gospel, you can let the doctrine that's sound influence how you live. Because the things that you believe, they must influence how we live. And how you live displays what you believe. You cannot do this. But God can do it in you. My closing illustration is uh, from a Gatorade commercial a few, few years back. 
a picture of Michael Jordan with uh, Gatorade. He's drinking orange Gatorade, and you see sweat coming off him that's orange. Have you ever seen this commercial? It's from a few years ago, but there's a tagline at the bottom. It says, Gatorade, is it in you? And the, the idea is that if you're, if you're putting it in you, it's giving you the strength and the stamina and the ability. And you know what? You can even see it on the outside through the sweat that's dripping down. That's the same illustration I want to leave to you, believer in Jesus Christ, follower of Jesus Christ. Is he in you? Does he serve and work and lead and teach and guide you? Absolutely he does. And because of that, you too can follow him in how you live.